If only they knew the hub for young business minds. Yes, people, it's Ted Lawler, and welcome back to another episode of the If Only They Knew podcast. Today, we're joined by Molly Masters, who's the founder of Books That Matter, and she speaks about making £10,000 in just 10 minutes, a period on a dragon's den, and so much more. So if you want to understand how someone can build an amazing business, despite the odds being against them, then this is the podcast for you. Yeah, so I'm Molly and I'm the founder and CEO of Books That Matter and we are a book subscription box by women for women introducing female-led writers to the world. Let's get straight into it and why, why books? Uh, because I heard, I think I heard you on another podcast recently, you said um, your, when your mum told your friends that she was calling you Molly Masters, they was like, oh, it sounds like she, she could be a writer or something like that. Is that right? So That's so cute that you've listened to that. I actually... <laughs> I, that's a very specific podcast reference so thank yeah, that's you it. <laughs> yeah my mum's gonna be all over that by the way <laughs> um yeah no my mum did say that um I think it was the alliteration and yeah. um I think possibly since that point she was like thinking of how she could get me into that career um <laughs> I'm joking but she actually was like the inspiration for all of it um I grew up in quite a working class family and my mum was a stay-at-home mum and a childminder for um, all of the early years for me and my sister and she inspired me so much to reading um, she taught me how to read and by the time I was at school I was far beyond um, my reading age and so I think because of her like books and creativity have always been a really big part of my life um, and even though it wasn't in a sense that I grew up in a house which had massive wall-to-wall libraries um, I know very few people who do um, but like weekly trips to the library and stuff with my mum were the things that I remember most about my childhood mm. and I think that just really started off my love of books and it was kind of coincidence now that I look back on it that I had a childhood and a young adulthood full of really amazing female English teachers who are really really passionate about the subjects that they teach and um, that kind of led me on to to being passionate about books and literature myself so I think that's where it all started from just having those really strong female influences and just strong influences full stop people who are going to encourage you to pursue your passions even though there's quite a lot of pressure especially now um, around literature and arts um, being a less viable option for young people to go to university with which is complete crap don't know what I could <laughs> swear on the podcast yeah, but I feel can. very passionately about that there's so much going on in the world and so many opportunities that arts and literature are definitely not a cop-out or easy or not useful um and so I think yeah I just had I was really lucky to have a lot of people in my life who were encouraging me to pursue reading and um yeah it got me here so yeah. I just love books basically yeah. big old nerd <laughs> well, it's quite interesting that you said that isn't it because I was sort of expecting you to say that like because that was going to be my question like it's weird how you can sort of craft your actual self and your skills and what you're interested in from a very early age like you said you was always sort of there was always a book in front of you and that was sort of you was led down that path because I, I was going to ask like what what sort of led you to get into it but I guess that's that that early stage you sort of found the passion for, from books from doing that and sort of being involved in it but on, in a more later stage in a more recent time how did you sort of get experience to get 
really hands-on in the book world if that makes sense because I'm right in saying you worked in bookshops and stuff like that and you was always sort of floating around books is, is, that, yeah. is that right and is that how you got your confidence and experience? Yeah I was definitely very introverted as a child and although I had a lot of friends I I didn't always find that part of school that easy and it wasn't that I was ditching like social situations for books but I think I always really enjoyed having a book at hand and when I got into like free reading I don't know if that's the same for people now um but I was just away and I know like many other girls and young boys at that time I was kind of going through all the Jacqueline Wilson books and just anything that was a series I just really got my teeth into it and I think that led me to kind of move on to creative writing wanting to be like a bit of a Jacqueline Wilson myself and um, that led on to kind of I guess it get, becomes more formalized into being you know somebody who's relatively passionate and good at essay writing and it led me to go on to um, English literature and stuff but whilst I was doing that I got a job in WH Smith which is pretty much like the only like shop in like the <laughs> small town that I grew up in that wasn't like a green graces or something um, but because it was it was just amazing I loved working with all the new books that were there like I said, I am a nerd and I own that now. I used to be so worried about it, but now I'm just like, no, I loved it when the new books came in, putting them on the shelf, that new book smell. And when it was quiet, I got to read all the new releases. So I was literally being paid to read. And it was, <laughs> as long as I didn't mind standing on my feet and wearing one of those not so flattering fleeces at WH it was like a dream job to me. Um, and so, yeah, during that time, I, I think there were just many moments in my childhood and in those like formative adult years where, I just turned to books either as an escape or as kind of a way to fuel my own creative writing. And I think when you spend more time reading, you become a better writer and more kind of eloquent. You become more confident. And I think, you know, that's something that is not the lost art that people think it would be in the age of like e-readers, iPads. People love books and are always going to love books. And, and I'm just really lucky that I had so many different ways to enjoy them. So I think that was yeah the path to books in my kind of adult years um and yeah I just loved WH Smith it was great <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned there as well um what's the correct term I don't want to offend anyone did you say you come from like a small town village what's the correct yeah term? yeah so um I think it is a aspirational village that kind yeah. of masquerades as a town yeah. um there are not many people and I don't really know the definition of a town or a village but it's no. it's it's quite a big town, like quite a big village, basically. So um, there's not, it's very small, everyone knows everyone. So being on Dragon's Den last week, like it seems to have been like going around the, um, uh, yeah, course, the village yeah. quite a lot. So everybody yeah. knows, um, but that was really nice, but it also doesn't really prepare you that much for no. the rest of the world and what is out there. <laughs> we, yeah. we will get on to Dragon's Den in just a moment, but that's, that is what I wanted to say on that sort of point. Like I heard you've come from quite a, a humble background. Uh, I think that's the right way to say it. Similar to myself, sort of, um, yeah, I guess quite a struggle at times. You sort of weren't given any money to get started by like a rich mum or dad or anything like that, mm. similar to me. So I think we've come from similar backgrounds in terms of that sense, um, but obviously different parts of the world. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've heard that you hustled your way into networking events and you sort of did anything you could to get by. Is that correct? Yeah. So I and I really admire anybody like yourself who's built themselves a platform from nothing, from not knowing anybody, having those connections. And I think 
people are getting better now at recognizing and owning how much accountability they have for the connections in worlds like this, like media, podcasting, publishing. If you don't have a leg up, it is really bloody difficult to make your way and get yourself known. Um, and that's something that's never lost on me when I'm looking around who's got a seat at the table when I'm putting things together for books that matter because I want to make sure that there's opportunities out there that I didn't have. Um, and I had the most supportive family ever, but that doesn't always mean that you've got the most money in your pocket and people yeah. who can introduce you to the right people. Um, so yeah, I went to university in Sussex and I was the first in my family to go to university. So that in itself was like quite a lot of pressure. Mm. Um, to choose the right one, do the right course, do as well as I possibly could. And um, yeah, when I started Books That Matter, it became even more apparent to me how hierarchical the publishing industry is, how it is who you know, and not necessarily what you know, it's what school you went to, what internships you're able to have. And there's such a big disparity between people who are working at university and people who are able to do unpaid internships and not have to worry about paying their rent. And that's when we all get those emails about not having enough experience for a job. It's often, you know, predominantly working class or people of minority that don't have the luxury of being able to do an unpaid internship. And, and it doesn't sound like a luxury, but I remember working three jobs and then being able to pay my rent to do uni. Wow. Um, and it was not, it wasn't easy starting up Books That Matter. And I feel at a place now where it is getting easier. The business never gets easier, but yeah. the accessibility and the financial aspect is a lot easier. Um, but when I started, I went to London Book Fair and basically had to sit down with all of these people at publishers and convince them that what I was doing was worth their time. And a lot of the time it was a lot of no's. And that is... <laughs> That is so hard to receive in person. Email no's are fine, but like face-to-face, -face, somebody telling you that they don't really think it's worth their time or that it won't be very big um, is really hard. And I remember Fourth Estate Publishers, who are an imprint of HarperCollins, were the first people to give me a proper chance and they gave me an wow. introductory price for their books. that I could have them in the boxes so I could make it financially viable. <laughs> um, and it was great. And obviously I started Books That Matter from... A startup grant um, like a competition that I entered and that was incredible but that whole process of going from A to B is never easy and like the the most prominent example of like what you've said there was when I felt there was a there was a big event going on in Bristol where I now live um, and it was networking young entrepreneurs with um, Anne Hyatt who is a very prominent woman in business she worked as literally the the second arm for um for Google, like Eric Schmidt, and she worked at Amazon with Jeff Bezos and Silicon Valley, like she's a woman to know. Yeah. And it was, I remember it being about 400 quid for a ticket. And I was like, oh. oh God, I am not my mother's daughter if I pay that much for a ticket. <laughs> so I sent this essay um, and she not only let me go, I think it was her assistant who passed me over to her directly. She invited me for breakfast and we chatted and we've been friends ever since. She still helps me to this day. And it was one of those moments where like, if you don't ask, you don't get. And mm. I'm so I'm so glad that I asked um, because sometimes I think we're all privy to having a lot of like withdrawal and also having a lot of pride and thinking, well, I don't want to ask for something. But if you genuinely are in need and I wouldn't have been able to afford that connection otherwise, 
um, I wouldn't have the relationship with Anne that I have now, whereby she she helps me with sometimes the biggest questions that I have in business because she's got those years in industry to help. So I think there's a real thing there of other people supporting others get their leg up, but it's not always that simple um, with with these industries, as you probably well know. Yeah, and I think that's an important point as well. Most people, young entrepreneurs, I've spoken to so many over the past few years, and I myself have only just sort of gotten into the real, real business world. Like I, I thought I was a businessman. I just had the podcast and a, an Instagram page and I started the manifestation journal and I sort of got hit hard because I was like, wow, okay, it's completely different to sort of what I was used to when I actually mm. become a real entrepreneur, like an actual, not just for the namesake, I was an actual entrepreneur and I was sort of actually doing real things like you are now. Um, and what I didn't realize is how much you sort of you don't have to but it really does help if you bend the rules and yeah and like you said there like you're doing things outside of the box that most people wouldn't do or wouldn't even think of doing or expect you to have to do mm. in order to get those situations I think that's so important isn't it sort of thinking outside the box and doing different things yeah and you probably found that too in that you do have to think creatively mm. and ask people for stuff that sometimes seems a bit cheeky but Otherwise, these people don't know you exist. And yeah. they don't, they're not going to find out about you because, again, you haven't got an aunt, an uncle, a dad, a mum who works in that industry who can say, oh, I know someone who's doing that or let me introduce <laughs> you to that person. You've got to like go and knock on their door, swallow your pride and be like, please don't ignore me. Um, because obviously with your platform and, you know, with mine too, I think we have something really important to share, which is stories and yeah that you know people need to be given a chance and given a seat at the table and um oftentimes we have to just like make that happen ourselves i hope it won't be like that forever but at the no, moment no. i thoroughly expect the hustle of everybody who makes that happen for themselves yeah and no, i saying well let's get into then how did you become like you you can obviously see your passion you just ooze like passion for books so how did you <laughs> actually get into becoming an actual entrepreneur yourself then you went from sort of having the passion for books enjoying it and then bang how, how did that happen like you said you won the the competition um was that like the very first stage of of this business being born or was there something before how, how did it sort of all happen for you um so I think it all stemmed from trying to take as many opportunities when I was at university as I could mm -hmm. um I think it was never lost on me and all of my friends at university were mainly working class students as well and they were going through the same as me couldn't really afford literally to go out every single night and do the traditional so you had to also think about not being able to afford to waste the time which isn't to say that social life is a waste of time but I certainly didn't have as much of one as I would have liked um but there was a very like there was a common strand of people who were like we need to kind of get every single experience that we can out of these three years because those are very short years once you get started um and so I think the first kind of experiences that I took out of university was I got a funding um scholarship to go and study in Berlin and that was one of the places where I was really introduced to these amazing female writers and wanted to make sure that just because I had the accessibility to go to Berlin and had that scholarship to go to university that those female writers wouldn't be something that was kind of off of the mainstream for women like myself who would enjoy reading them and yeah. hearing their stories but they just weren't that prominent they were always curriculum books um so that was like the first thing that I felt really opened my eyes if I didn't have that experience um which I was ex extremely fortunate to be given 
then I don't think I would have gone on to do other things. And I think university gave me the confidence to ask for, basically ask for shit that I did. Sorry, <laughs> I'm such a swearing person these days. Just ask for shit that I wouldn't usually get. So um, I applied for a summer internship at Cosmo. I still had to work, but I moved my work to um, London. I worked at a soap shop at the time. It won't take many people to guess which one it was but I was able to move so I could earn money whilst I was doing my internship and afford to do it and it was kind of it, I got burnt out but it was so worth it and at Cosmo I was working with amazing um women who were managing accounts like Birchbox and Glossybox and so that was my first um understanding of the subscription world and how I could possibly like blend those two things together because my time in like Berlin studying these female writers and my time at Cosmo studying subscription boxes was kind of like blurred together mm. um and so I kind of came back to university with this knowledge of those two things I very quickly got shut down from being able to do a master's and a PhD which was my first like aspiration for once I left um it was just way too expensive and I couldn't oh, feel yeah. like I could make it work yeah I think mentally at that point having juggled jobs and tutoring and this internship I was starting to feel really mentally drained and I think I realized that it probably wasn't sustainable to put that on myself to be like oh I could work these jobs and keep doing a master's because I just felt like a bit of a shell of myself at that point and the only things that kept inspiring me was this idea of kind of bringing women's literature to people through some sort of way and that's when I started to think about books that matter as a community I started the Instagram and it kind of just occurred to me a little bit like you perhaps that it needed to be a product-led thing as yeah. well as a community um and then this email popped into my inbox for business students at the University of Sussex to apply for Startup Sussex and I just wow. thought I'd apply anyway because yeah. I was English I didn't know anything about business still don't really but I've got four years and doing it now but yeah <laughs> I became the first female winner of that prize and wow. um they really love books that matter and it was just the most amazing thing to be able to get what was you know and still is a really good amount of money a really generous amount of money to be able to start up this business and without that I literally would have been able to um so yeah that was the that was the whole journey sorry I feel like I've been talking for ages (laughs) (laughs) on that point do you think like like you said it's just like a random email come through and it was like the thing that you actually needed without realizing do you believe in What's the right way to word it like things what will be will be like things like destiny stuff like that so uh yeah. serendipitous moments I think that's the right way to say it you can yeah <laughs> I think people are very um very quick to dismiss things like manifestation and law of attraction I can't say I know that much about either but I really respect people who do and people who pursue that because I literally think if you open your eyes to opportunities then essentially that is kind of manifestation you are making things happen for yourself and if your eyes are open enough and you're receptive to different things even if they seem scary then you are attracting new energies and new opportunities and I think even if that does sound airy-fairy or whatever like it's just it's one of those if you are open then I think opportunities come to you um if you think I can't do that or that's not for me then you become closing your you start closing your vision off um to other things that could happen for you but I do think also that things are fated um it seemed like such immaculate timing that all these things came together um because I just remember like holding myself in despair in the library 
where I always do that apparently at uni <laughs> and I was thinking oh, I, have, I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life and like I wasn't going to be able to do be an academic um and then that kind of happened and it just did it fell into place with a lot of hard work but that email definitely felt like a bit of a, a beacon of hope at that moment where I did think I have no idea why or what I'm going to do with these three years of my life that I've spent studying and I do feel like that was an event that was an opportunity to channel them into something really meaningful well our two worlds have just collided your world of books and my world of I'm a big believer in manifestation <laughs> stuff like that this is my product if you didn't know I don't know if you can see that the manifestation journal our book our worlds have just collided so I'm a big believer in manifestation um so I thought I'd quickly shamelessly and selfishly of course my product <laughs> as well um but talking about products is a good little segue uh, tell us a bit more about your your products plural um the business um and yeah what what are your what are you doing with it currently what stage is it at and yeah just tell us a bit more about before we go into what happened last week yeah so books that matter is a monthly subscription um box and we put together curated themed boxes and reading experiences that center on women's writing what I'm super passionate about is making sure that people have opportunities and platforms. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, that looks like creating that space for women's writing, um, specifically women of marginalized backgrounds. Um, we have so many stats that we throw around at Books That Matter, but one of my favorite is that you are more likely to get your book published if your name is David than if you're a woman or a person of minority background. Wow. Um, and there are currently less writers of kind of like female identifying writers um, right now than there were in the 19th century. Um, the book world has continued to focus more on marketing and publishing books by predominantly straight white males. There's nothing to say that there's something wrong with that. Many of them are great books that go on to win amazing prizes, but without the marketing budget, the right publisher, the right agents, the access, women's writing just doesn't do as well. And that's nothing to say. Some of our comments are in the in the lieu of like saying, oh, maybe they're not as good. Maybe their writing's not as good. Yeah. Their writing is amazing. Yeah. But we live in a world that has unfortunately not offered women those opportunities until very recently. And um, that's basically what Books That Matter is all about, creating a space to celebrate those stories, to project these books out into the world, give them a wider readership. And we've seen that through people subscribing to our boxes and supporting female authors they're not only feeling more empowered themselves because they're seeing themselves and their stories represented in literature and they're escaping as we all had to do in the pandemic but they're also feeling inspired by being introduced to new cultures new backgrounds but we're also putting women on the charts like the book charts that was something that happened that was amazing like a couple of years ago so start of the pandemic one of our authors of the month was named in the bookseller and said that you know their sales had soared and they were in the charts and stuff like that happens more regularly wow. for us now when we partner with people like Sally Rooney on pre-releases um in the coming I don't know when this is going out so I don't know what I can this, talk this, about this will, be out, this will be out next Monday so uh, okay so our April book is actually a like the first kind of pre-release of a Korean translated fiction by a really coveted author. And so it's just so amazing to work with people like that and yeah. give them a UK based platform, celebrate their releases, their debuts. Um, 
and it's just so rewarding and yeah inside each box probably should have done that in a much more I'm <laughs> I'm such a book person at heart that I can't do things concisely but our book subscriptions start at 15 pounds a month and inside you can also get gifts which are practical purposeful and centered around providing a great reading experience that are also from female-led brands and creative so think teas snacks stationery um things that are really purposeful great quality eco um what am I trying to say kind of ecologically friendly um but yeah it's all about supporting women which obviously was something that struck a conversation post dragon's den but um we've got between 3,500 and 4,000 subscribers a month that's before dragon's den things have um gone crazy but it's just been wonderful to be able to completely disrupt the publishing industry and and show people that there's such a demand for a space like this that that focuses on women's writing and marginalized voices um because I think we're growing up in a generation that is just so much more empathetic and so much more progressive um so yeah that's books that matter in a nutshell (laughs) a very big nutshell (laughs) sorry I I wanted to leave the drone then until just now because I wanted Mm. to make sort make it really clear that like you just said there like you actually saw a lot of success before the show and I think that's credit to obviously your yourself your passion and and the idea you've actually created there um so firstly well done on that and secondly let's go into it then Dragon's Den how did that come about what happened during it and yeah let's just dive straight into it Yeah, so before Dragon's Den, I'm so glad that you mentioned that as well, because I think it's really, it's very easy now for like a lot of the new audience that has come to us to think that kind of like there was kind of (laughs) pre-Dragon's Den, books that matter, and then post-Den, because it does have such a large impact being on TV for such a long period of time. Um, But before the Den, we actually quadrupled in size during the pandemic. There were so many people who wanted to have these monthly reading experiences sent to their door, be part of a virtual book club when we couldn't see each other face to face. And there were so many authors as well that really needed support um, in a virtual and kind of delivered to your door kind of way when they weren't able to put their books out there in the pandemic, because obviously there was so much going on in the world, but for authors and particularly female authors, when they don't get that massive marketing budget, they're not put up for these women's um, these writing prizes um they were just having their events pushed back their launches pushed back their publishing dates pushed back of works of fiction that they've worked so hard on so we worked with so many authors and as well as the women's prize for fiction in the pandemic to put those you know put those voices front and center and that was hugely rewarding and it it was a really formative time for us even when me and my team were completely separate um I was shielding and we just didn't meet up for a year and a half but it was such an amazing time and then in the middle of that we were contacted a few times by Dragon Root Apply and it felt really weird and I guess from you and your point of like manifestation that probably (laughs) does feel right because I would prop my phone up next to my screen every day and watch really old Dragon's Den episodes back to back it was my escape during shielding and during lockdown I just couldn't get enough of it it was such a strange addiction um and then it was just weird one day they were in my inbox and I would never have applied because I just don't think that that's very me like I would never I didn't ever think I'd have the gall to go on there um and at first I think I said thank you like we'll think about it and then they came back again and asked um and it did just feel really meant to be and I was like we could 
I think that after this really challenging period of not knowing whether the business was going to survive, I didn't physically pack boxes anymore, thank goodness. But I was like not able to leave my house because I have a chronic lung condition. And I was like, we had like the business has just defied the odds. And I think if we can do this year and we could do lockdown and we could do the pandemic, then we could do this. And so um, I said yes. And then it was a kind of a whirlwind of a year getting to the point where we were going to film. Um, And the week before Dragon's Den, one of our key team members left. We dispatched her with love. She was off for a new opportunity. And that was a challenge in itself. Um, It challenged me in all sorts of ways. And once I was in the den and I felt fiercely protective over books that matter, and once I walked away, turning away that deal, it just kind of, I kind of felt like I can do anything. If I can survive <laughs> yeah. two hours in Dragon's yeah. Den, then I can actually do anything. And so we changed the branding of the business. We leveled up so many things, the website, the community, and it just was such a force for good. It was the biggest challenge that anybody I possibly could ever have for their business. Somebody constantly asking you questions about yeah. what, why you chose to do this, why you do that, and why... I mean, the maths was just beyond me, but it was just the biggest challenge ever. But I'm so grateful that it happened because it's led to so many amazing things. And yeah, not least of all, just like this really amazing pivot for the business, which, yeah, it's just been an amazing time. I think sometimes you need that. Like you said, you need sort of either someone to say well done and sort of point out that what you have been doing has been worth it or someone to give you a leg up and sort of help you get to that Mm. stage. Or like, like, I think it was Peter Jones that said like, well done. And you can see it in his face. Like he looked so almost proud of you. And that, like, yeah. It, yeah, I'm glad you said that about watching Dragons then, because I've been doing that as well. And I've no, I've picked up certain things Like when they r- see a young entrepreneur in then they really do sort of light up and you can see the look on their face. Like they're really proud of that young entrepreneur. And I think Peter, especially, um, and I think it was Stephen as well. Those two in particular, I think they look really proud of you. Did you did you pick up on that? And like you said, you was in there for two hours. Did you sort of pick up on yeah. that, that affection? Yeah, it was it was a really great time. And I'm like struggling not to get emotional about it now because I think <laughs> yeah, the people yeah. that you fear the most sometimes become your biggest allies. And that's not that's not to say that in every walk of life, but yeah. I feared those men who you see on TV and you see them be really scathing. And to be honest, in the edit that they put out. Maybe it looked differently, but I know that Stephen and Tuka and um, and Peter were just my biggest allies there. And I've so much respect for Sarah and Deborah, but um, the the men in Dragon's Den were just so lovely to me and wow. could really get behind the ethos, why it was needed. Um, and perhaps being on the flip side, being men looking at female entrepreneur and looking at a product that's for women, they could see from their own lived experience, why this was needed and why this space that we've created is important. But I remember Tuka telling me that I reminded him of his daughter and Peter was telling me all about his girls. He's a, he's a father, yeah. I think three or four girls he's yeah. got. Um, and Stephen obviously backs so many female entrepreneurs and yeah, they were really supportive. And I remember finishing off my pitch and being like, I couldn't believe that I'd survived the pitch alone. And Peter was the first person to be like, how do you think that went? take a breather take a minute like you've done a really great job and um yeah I don't think anybody goes into Dragon's Den expecting to be showered with praise but (laughs) there's so much of those two hours that I know that happened that were not featured on TV I mean there was so much praise featured on TV but there are so many moments that I'll really cherish because these 
massive business moguls thought that I was doing a good job and and really could get behind it and like you said I think they see the value in a young entrepreneur who's willing to push even further than what they've been able to achieve in maybe you know one or one or two years so yeah they were really lovely yeah when Sarah I think it was Sarah she said she was out and then like Deborah Deborah was sort of like criticizing it a little bit she couldn't really get it she Mm. thought it was sort of she didn't get what you was trying to do with it. And then Sarah said she was out and like you lit the camera cuts to you. And I don't know whether that was like an actual thing or whether that was an edit, but like you looked like you literally winced. Like you sort of went like, oh, when she said she was out. Like, what was you thinking when like the first couple sort of said, it's not for me? I think at the time, you know that it's going to happen. Not ever. it was, I don't think anybody goes into there thinking that there's going to be a five offer situation, yeah, yeah. but it does, it stings. And I think that was the whole thing that when I came out and spoke to Izzy, who at the time um, came with me, I was only allowed to bring one person and we only found out the night before. So I thought I was going to be doing the whole thing alone, but she sat in the dressing room. And when I told Izzy about how protective standing in the den makes you feel about something that you've you've brought to life like I don't have children so I can't compare it to that but like I just felt fiercely protective of it and so when someone criticizes it and disagrees and says no they're not going to offer you this opportunity is incredibly um damning I guess in a way but you have to kind of pick yourself up I remember I slightly wobbled like my foot wobbled and Deborah asked if I needed to sit down and I was like I just need a glass of water and I was like I'm sorry, I hope I haven't done that to you. And I was like, no, because you need to hear these things. There are things on TV that were said and framed and obviously it's all very dramatic, but we had really productive conversations about how we frame our business, how we do things. And ultimately like the um, books that matter are now not continuing Brave Girls Book Club for many, many, many reasons. Um, One of which was a trademark dispute with another business, which every business seems to have come into contact with. But it was also a real time of reflection. So I still took on those comments and was like, I'm going to take these really productively um, and, you know, hold myself accountable. I, I like, I know why I run this business. I'm not going to back down on my ethos, but I will take this into consideration for when we go forward because, I, you know, they, they do know what they're doing. They might not agree with the feminist ethos, but they still know what makes good business sense. And so I shan't be changing anything immediately. And our ethos is very important to us, but the lessons are there and they're like in my head, they'll still be kind of part of the business going forward. The whole, the whole experience will, but yeah, they probably got it spot on with that wince because I probably did. I was like, oh no, because I think they were the first two to say no. So I just yeah. thought, oh God, it's downhill from here. Yeah. But um, it actually then picked up quite considerably. So yeah, yeah I think at the time, I did probably feel a bit bad but it yeah it was it was great and um yeah still still fully respect them in in their own rights last couple on the dragons then then before mm. we move into something slightly different to just to round off then um like you said you sort of you didn't really like you struggled the numbers you said initially but you had to obviously go through that whole business plan process stuff like that is that what sort of gave you the confidence to walk away from the offer? To, like you After spending, I guess, probably weeks, months even, mm-hmm. working on the business plan, is that what made you think, you know what, I've got a good understanding of the business now, I can actually walk away? Um, and then couple with that cheeky question you don't have to answer, did you have a dragon in mind walking in? Okay, firstly, <laughs> I will say that it was literally about a full year of working on all of the due diligence and the business plan wow. to be and once you do all of that 
it's very similar to when they say you're going to be when they air your episode and they say okay you're going to be on next week or you're going to be on in four weeks we had completed like nine months of due diligence and it still wasn't really guaranteed that you were going to get picked um so there was a lot of hope resting on that I'm a perfectionist so I was just trying to do the most um but I think that in putting together this bible of the business all the numbers the dreams aspirations everything we want to do and what we've achieved so far it gives you a really good scope of what you are capable of and what could come from you know not just this opportunity but any opportunity for investment mentorship or whatever but personally for me we went into the into the den not just for the money it was an opportunity that was offered to us so I felt like I felt to accept would be a good opportunity to just see what happens because yeah. it was kind of a no win you know what's that thing it's a win-win situation that <laughs> I got an offer and I got a dragon amazing yeah. if I also got a great PR opportunity mm-hmm. um then that is also amazing for the business um and as long as I could hold my own then it would be good publicity so I'm pretty proud looking back on that and thinking that I did but um I think yeah for us it was it was more about the, the mentorship side of things and having somebody there who could kind of use their years in business to inform what we might need and, and where we might be going um so yeah I think by the time I stood there and thought about the money versus the percentage of the business I did think actually I think we can just do this by ourselves and there's been so much that's happened since then in terms of planning for the business that I've really started to slow down I think that the growth and the marketing is always fast paced because we always want to bring more customers on nurture the ones that we've got but I was always the kind of person who thought I want to do this first before anyone else does it and I listened to a really good um, interview the other day with the person who runs Headspace who thought it was calm gosh they're competitors I shouldn't get that mixed up but one (laughs) of them and they were saying that there's true value to like slowing down you know taking a seedling of an idea and really nurturing it um, before you get something off the ground and I think part of me realized in that moment that anything that was going to come beyond what is already a successful business could be nurtured and built over time we didn't need this like quick injection of cash to make it happen um and since then we've had people offer to be on the board people who want to support and mentor and, and that was what we were looking for and it doesn't necessarily need to come from dragon's den and what we have got is amazing support from the bbc and an incredible feature on television and a lifetime supply of content which Izzy who manages content could not be happier about but I think when we went into the den I didn't I I didn't say anything when I was there because I know that that can really piss them off and I can understand why if you go in and you'd be like I only want Stephen Bartlett like that's going to piss people off I think I was really eager to see what Stephen would think I think he was a real curveball for me because I really didn't know if he would be able to get behind something like this when a lot of his focus is on the digital but I think I obviously he saw a lot of value in, in our community um but in all honesty I think I went in there really um with an open mind but I think possibly what I didn't expect was not receiving the kind of approval or I don't know whether you could call it approval but it, it definitely wasn't my expectation that the women in the den would be the people to challenge me the most um, and I think that was what was one of the biggest challenges. I didn't actually have a person in mind who was like, they'll give me money and I want them to give me money. It was, I think these people are going to get it the most. And I think I saw the men being, oh, what about men <laughs> about it, um, which actually was a big surprise for me. So I think that was the unexpected part. 
final thing on the Dragons then, and then we'll round off with a, a few mm. uh, quick fire questions. Are we allowed to say what happened like 10 minutes or so after airing? Um, because I've sort of I've yeah. seen it, but yeah, like what, what happened after that? Because, like you said, you, you had success before, and then the episode aired, and then within 10 minutes, it all just sort of went mental, didn't it? Yeah, so we were all sat there. We decided on having a relatively modest watch party, um, just being responsible with COVID, but also I was just not in a frame of mind where I was able to host like yeah, a yeah, yeah. great number of people. We've done launch parties and we love hosting like authors and publicists, but I was like, I think when stuff like this happens and it's incredibly personal because I was like, I don't, I'm not the kind of person who feels like I have a personal brand but I think if you put yourself out there on the internet enough, people seem to make that deduction for you. So I was like, this is my face and it's me a year ago. So I have no idea what she's going to say and what's going to be cut. So I felt like I really needed to be surrounded by friends um, whilst we watched it. And so it was me and my team and a selection of our like housemates, friends, people we've worked with. Um, and we all sat down and watched it on the projector together in the office. And yeah, we made £10,000 in 10 minutes. Wow. Um, and the site crashed twice. <laughs> wow. um, it was, and we'd even expanded the bandwidth, like the maximum bandwidth yeah. <laughs> that we could possibly get. Cause I was trying to control it the whole week before I was like, let's control every single aspect. Yeah, um, yeah. Can't do that apparently. <laughs> and I had drank so much on the run up to that, that my team decided not to tell me that the website had crashed. Wow. They decided to deal with it in-house because they were like, I was just going to freak out. But yeah those 10 minutes that followed were really crazy and to be honest it hasn't it hasn't stopped since and it's been wonderful to have people coming to the socials asking questions buying purchasing stuff for friends and just supporting us in every way possible and I think actually what was really great was showing the the kind of diverse opinions between Sarah and Deborah and myself and really being able to start a conversation with the community as well um, because I think that sparked something with people in terms of, you know, showing them what the reality is for women getting published and getting themselves seen and heard in business and in the book world and, you know, making them want to read more women or support more women in business. And so this past, it's nearly a week now since we were on it and it's just not stopped and it's been wow. amazing. No, well done. That is honestly genuinely amazing. And I, I feel you. almost proud of you. I, 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 <laughs> and I feel proud, like just to sort of, because I've you. researched you and I've seen where you've come from and what you're doing now. So well done on that. Um, final few, um, just quick fire questions, if you don't mind, just before we wrap up, I really appreciate your time. Um, what would be your one piece of advice for the young people out there, whether they're involved in business or just from a, a sort of self-development side of things what would be your one piece of advice for those people I I firmly believe in following something that makes you feel passionate and makes you want to it's so cliche but get out of bed and yeah. sometimes that can be really hard and especially if we're this podcast obviously goes out and influences a lot of people but I imagine that they're young entrepreneurs and people yeah. who are with aspirations and we've just lived through a pandemic and however you feel about your progress right now, you've still got your whole life ahead of you to make crazy decisions and to back yourself. So I think the main thing that I've always tried to hold on to is just backing yourself 100% mm. and not comparing yourself to anybody else because you don't know what their assets and their setup looks like behind the scenes. A lot of people more than you expect have a leg up into industries that you wanna be in. 
So the best thing you can do is kind of tunnel vision yourself on what you want to do. You don't have to rush to get there. It doesn't matter if you're 20, 25, 30. There's no cap on like what you can do at a certain age. And I think I'm learning that now that you don't have to burn yourself out to be chasing people with a lot more money and a lot more resources than you do. Because as long as you go after what you want, you can show people your value, ask for mentorship, ask for people to support you. That's my like secondary thing is don't ask, don't get. Yeah. Just keep asking people and don't get too precious about when people say no. Just keep finding people who will say yes, because there'll be so many people who will. Um, I myself have been dedicating more time to finding smaller, like fledgling businesses, trying to connect them with people who will help them. Even if it's not me, like I can't consider myself a business coach in any way, but just creating that environment where we can support authors and young entrepreneurs and I think that there are so many places out there that now people are willing to connect and share their knowledge and share their expertise so I think just believe in yourself and believe that other people will believe in you as well I love that and final thing um well almost final thing (laughs) almost final thing Uh, one more after this Obviously, this podcast called If Only They Knew. What is one thing you wish you knew at an earlier stage, whether it be in like the business world or just in life in general? Oh my God, that's such a good question. Um, <laughs> ah, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me in the business world is that you can't do everything. Um, I think there's that really cheesy quote. I love a cheesy quote, but like you can do anything, but you can't do everything. At the start of the business, I was quite actually quite bad at asking for help, specifically with delegating. I've tried to cap myself so many times at like, I was at my limits of packing the boxes, doing the marketing, doing the socials, doing the emails. And I had the funds and facilities to bring somebody else on. It wasn't my own pride that led me to do that. I just believed that it was the entrepreneurial way. It was the working class way of doing everything yourself and that was just not a sustainable thing to do I've been out so many times so I think knowing that there's a point at which you need to ask more people to help or maybe you need to hire somebody even if that's part-time or a freelancer it's it doesn't being a good entrepreneur doesn't mean that you have to do everything yourself because you inevitably can't run a good business if you're running yourself into the ground um and I think secondly to that from like me personally I've always felt that maybe safe doesn't always mean good um I'd like played it safe a lot of the time I was really scared of taking risks in and outside of the business for me as a person and as an entrepreneur especially like alongside Dragon's Den and not believing that I was the person who could go and do that I think that sometimes we need to step up out of our safe zones which are often very different to our comfort zones I think our safe zones are places where we've been taught to stay whether that's telling yourself I'm not somebody who does public speaking I'm not somebody who asks for a raise at my job I'm not the kind of person who does this or even when you think around relationships or friendships like I'm I can't leave something because I think it's making me uncomfortable or this is a toxic friendship or a toxic relationship I think sometimes things that feel safe are not always good for us and so unless it's something wildly different and very, very ill-advised, I would say if something, if one tiny part of you is saying like, start this business, start writing a book, maybe don't talk to that person if they make you feel like shit, just listen to it because keeping something in your life because it feels familiar 
doesn't always pan out in making you feel good about yourself and and kind of it's not got longevity behind it so I think there are lots of people pleasers and a lot more people pleasers than we think there are in the world and I think we do need to be a bit more selfish sometimes and we've not been taught to do that (laughs) (laughs) no definitely I agree with that 100% my final question then what is next for yourself and the brand and tied in with that what do you want your legacy to be if you want a legacy at all oh that's so lovely (laughs) um I think for us next there's there's so much going on I wouldn't even know where to start um I personally have always wanted to make time for my writing I've been pretty bad at that since yeah. Dragons we knew when Dragon's Den was airing but I want to make more time for my own personal goals in writing fiction and doing things like that um and kind of putting my time into volunteering as well I've always like when I was younger we used to do a lot of like charitable stuff within my family and we give a lot financially as a business, um, but I also want to be putting time into local businesses here in Bristol. And like, there's a lot of great charities who support like female sex workers and like marginalized women. Um, and I think as a brand, we're also kind of echoing that with how, with our approach of our collaborations too. Um, we've got some really exciting launches coming up, which I have no, like, I don't have any leeway to talk about, but we're basically <laughs> trying to disrupt the reading world and the publishing world as much as we can and making it accessible and exciting for people who are perhaps kind of struggling with finding the right books and finding the right time to read Mm -hmm. um so that's something we're super super fired up about and I guess the legacy for me is always going to be giving marginalized people women a voice and giving them a platform so to create a space that kind of what do we say not predates but kind of transcends beyond my life and the work that I've put into the business and there's this continual space that be it books that matter or something else by that time that kind of performs a platform for women and and gives them a space and encourages people to read that's all I want because I think that for me accessibility and empowerment and, and a celebration of women's voices is is what's like at the core of what I'm trying to do here that's amazing thank you so much for your time and it's been really interesting hearing more about your your story and your advice as well and like Thanks I said so I almost, almost feel proud of you like and I, I, <laughs> so that's that's obviously saying something about about the way you come across as well so thank you the floor is now yours if you've got a final message or you just want to tell people where to find out more about you um yeah please let them know now Thank you. And thanks so much for having me. I've had like the best time. It's been a hot minute since I've done a podcast. So I'm so excited. Um, If people wanted to go and check out the subscriptions and the offers that we have, they can go to booksthatmatter.co.uk. And our most active social channels, I would say, are Instagram, where we're Books That Matter UK, and TikTok, where it's just Books That Matter. Brilliant. Well, like I said, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you so much. Speak soon.